Uh, today is a, going to be a very interesting podcast. Today I'm with uh, Brooke Burton from uh, the US. A little bit about the Middle Road. Middle Road OPC Private Limited is a one-person company. Uh, my name is Ishant Malhotra. I'm the founder. And the flagship uh, brand is the Middle Road platform, wherein I discuss issues related to the society, predominantly from the sustainable development goals. The It's, it, it's inspired loosely by the 17 sustainable development goals. And it's got an e-publication online platform, e-learning section, and a consulting practice. Now, under podcast, I bring in guests from around the world. We discuss issues which are related to humanity. These are thought leaders. As a thought leader platform, I try to integrate all the actors within the sustainable development sector or social sector to carve out the common themes which are impacting humanity. Group, uh, thank you. Thanks a lot. Uh, you're from Michigan. We're both Michigan alums. So a very warm welcome to the platform. Thank you for having me and go blue. So, uh, Brooke, today, uh, the whole agenda of what we are discussing is, this is the first time we are going to be discussing your entrepreneurship journey. The whole idea is to understand uh, what, uh, how, you know, different things affected you, how you grew up as a person, both, you know, when we discussed your uh, previous background, and specifically right now, the venture which you're doing, the People's Club, very interesting name, because my pitch deck is also, I was trying to say, it's, it's a people's platform, where, you know, you, you're trying to build a community, you're doing things, uh, something so very overlapping with the theme of, with the mission of my startup, you're, you're focusing on art and culture, you're, you're fo focusing on well-being, you're focusing on so many other things, like, you know, you're trying to get people together start one first how did you come to this idea you know how did you come to the people's club idea and um, take us through your experience at raw school you did an mba at ross you passed out in 2020 your previous experience and what made you come to what you're doing today yeah sure um the i'll start with the idea for the people's club and then i can sort of get into my background so um, I have always been really interested in how people build community. I was a sociology major in undergrad when I went to Vanderbilt University in Nashville, Tennessee, and always just thought it was so interesting to think about how people find connections, how people create sense of community. Um, and when you're growing up, um, at least in the US, you, there's all these different uh, places where you can find community. So whether that be at school or in your after school program. So for me, I was really involved with like dance and music and theater and all these different things. And the same thing happens when you're in college. Um, but after you graduate from college, that all kind of disappears. And when you're like a 20 something uh, living in a city in the US, you just get sort of plopped into this city and you're sort of left to yourself to find new friends and make connections and feel like you're connected. So I definitely had this idea when I was living in Chicago kind of before business school. Um, and it definitely wasn't um, a COVID related idea. The initial idea was definitely to be in person and have it to almost be like a community center for the modern day and the digital age. So doing a lot of research on um, community centers that were really popular in like the 50s and 60s in the US, um, like the YMCA and the Jewish Community Center, the JCCs, the 92nd Street Y, which is in New York City and thinking about how can we sort of recreate that for the modern day sort of millennial or Gen Z um, person today who's trying to navigate um, finding, you know, their people. Um, but then with COVID, I sort of 
pivoted to making this a digital first community, but definitely have um, a vision of like opening an in-person space one day where there would be, you know, sort of this like hub um, to get a little bit into like how I got into entrepreneurship. So I definitely didn't know anything about entrepreneurship when I was growing up. My family is not really super business oriented. Um, and I didn't really know anything about that. And then, and I didn't know anything about it when I graduated from college either because I studied sociology, um, but I was teaching. I did the Teach for America program and I taught high school down on the South side of Chicago. And um, I'm actually a special ed certified. So I was teaching um, essentially struggling readers at that time. And I was using a lot of technology in my classroom to help sort of bridge the gap for some of my students. So I became super interested in education tech, just like as an industry. And then after a couple of years of teaching, I decided I wanted to move into working in the ed tech industry. So I got a job at this startup called Albert. Um, which is, uh, it was about two years old when I joined, really young company, lots of young people working there. And they essentially build um, digital curriculum products for students studying for um, exams. And the founder and the CEO of that company, he started this company, Albert, right out of undergrad. So he was like 26 and I was like 25 at the time. And I thought to myself, hey, like if this guy can start a company I, I could do this. I could start a company. This is kind of a cool career path that I truly never thought of until now. So then I became really interested in entrepreneurship just as a concept. And I started, and I'm sure you know, there's so many podcasts out there on entrepreneurship. So I started listening to them and I started listening to a lot of the ones that are oriented towards like women becoming um, entrepreneurs. So there's Girl Boss, which had, I probably listened to every episode of Girl Boss Radio. And then there's How I Built This with Guy Raz, and he was interviewing a lot of women at the time. And one thing that I found in common with a lot of these women that I was listening to was they had all gone to business school. So I figured, well, if all of these people started companies and went to business school, I should probably do that too. And it'll give me a little bit of a, you know, just the fundamentals of business before I start my own thing. So that's kind of when I decided I wanted to go to business school. And so I really focused on applying to programs that have a strong entrepreneurship um, like component. So that's kind of how Ross came on my radar. Um, and the Zellery Institute is like really well known for all their entrepreneurship programming. Ended up getting in and then focused all of my energy while I was there on like understanding entrepreneurship. So I was involved, really involved with this club um, called Women Who Launch, which is all about getting women involved in entrepreneurship and venture capital. I was also involved in this other club called Open Road, which is like helping social impact entrepreneurs all around the US. Um, so I tried to really focus my, my energies on that. And then after graduation, I just was like, let's do it. Let's start this. Uh, decided to just start my own thing and start the People's Club and launched it just a couple of months after I graduated in May. You talked about the influence of podcasts. How important do you think uh, is the podcast industry now coming? Now, the reason why I'm asking is that you, you heard a lot of podcasts and you say that influenced you. So what sort of uh, skill sets were you looking for? Were you looking at something maybe it could give me a guidance more on the technical side or maybe it will just share a perspective, which is what uh, you felt was a good mode of uh, 
looking at the political effect. Yeah, I think it's just hearing people talk through their thought process. And you, when you listen to a lot of podcasts about entrepreneurship, you just start to pick up on themes. So obviously hearing people talk about their failures, hearing people just say, just get started. You hear that all the time. Um, and then also hearing people that have similar backgrounds to you talk about entrepreneurship. So just I think there's something about actually listening to someone's voice that's really interesting. So like when I would listen to a podcast about like a woman who started a company, it almost felt like I was having a conversation with her, um, even though, you know, I was just a listener. So I think that it it, it, it feels very, I think podcasts feel very intimate um, and you almost can like envision yourself having that conversation with the person. So I think they are important because at least for, and I still listen to a lot of podcasts. So it's important to me to continue to get that inspiration. And a lot of times if I am feeling uninspired, I'll like listen to an episode that I know inspires me just to like get that fire back. And there's like a couple of episodes that I actually will revisit because I feel like I relate to them so much. When you talked about education, you know, you had your experience in Teach for America. You taught it. Uh, you also were in charter school. How did that experience shape you to what you're doing today? Did that play a very prominent role in building up the community? A little bit. I think so. I worked at a like a high performing charter school that was really modeled off of a lot of um, like business oriented practices. So, for example, we had performance based pay where and this is very controversial and I'm not advocating for this or against it. I'm just this is what I the environment I worked in. Um, but for example, if your students um, like scored a certain amount on an exam, like the teachers would get um, bonus for that um, or and the students would as well. So there definitely was like a very startup -y culture at the school that I worked at and I and whether that's a good or a bad thing is up for debate, but it definitely got me curious about models of like how to like incentivize people to do different things and how to just like the school that I worked at my um, like administration was really supportive and anytime I had an idea we could just run with it immediately. So if I said like hey I think we should try this they would say okay what resources do you need let's try it let's test it and I think this like um, meth with this idea of like testing things and trying different things is very much in line with entrepreneurship so probably you know inspired me a little bit in that way and also just like working without a lot of resources is like a huge part of being a teacher and like you're getting up every day and you're just trying different things and you're seeing like what the students respond to and what they don't and that's essentially what you have to do when you're building a business too now you talked about women entrepreneurship now that's one of the topics slightly debated around the world how much uh, it's pretty it's very clear from the statistics that uh, they are at a disadvantage not only in the us i'll say globally i mean if you look at all the studies but then now today there's a consensus going on and a lot of work is being done what would your perspective be what do you think has changed from your perspective as a, as a woman entrepreneur over the years you think there's been a change in the us and global and whatever from what you think globally. Yeah, I think it's hard to say whether there's been a change. I mean, if you look at the actual data, the number of venture capital dollars that go towards female founders is still only around 3%. And it's essentially hovered around 3% for the last three years. And it hasn't really moved a ton. Um, but in terms of my own personal experience, 
uh, going through business school and actually connecting with other women who want to start companies and want to be investors and want to even work in finance or in consulting or other really high powered careers has really shifted my own like confidence and just my support system for doing this kind of thing. Um, like before I went to business school, I really didn't know anyone else that wanted to start a business. Like I was the only one that I knew that wanted to do this, except for like the CEO of the company that I worked for. Um, so I have friends that I have like weekly calls with, um, all the women who I was like, you know, involved in these clubs that I was like involved with in school are super helpful and supportive. So I think um, business schools are a really important sort of vehicle for like helping women become more successful entrepreneurs because business schools sort of bring everyone together and connect them and then you have that sense of community i know that um there's a really big push to continue to get business school programs to be at 50 percent women i think the university of michigan ross is somewhere around 46 percent and i was on a call with another woman today who said her school was at like 39 percent. so there's definitely I think the faster like the business school world can get to that 50 50 number like the more people you're going to see trying to start businesses and i think also um there's this big debate in the entrepreneurship and the startup world like do you need an mba to start a business most people are going to say no you don't need an mba to start a business like anyone can start one and that's true but for women having that added layer of credibility so when you go to someone and I have my MBA from Ross, there's way more trust and support um, versus like, hey, I'm Brooke and I just was a teacher for three years and I want to start a business. I think, um, I think there's a, I think anyone can do it, but I'm really, really grateful that I went through the business school experience because it just gave me that level of A, credibility and B, the community to rely on. It gives you skill sets, you know, you work across yeah. uh, functions. You have much better hold on what you're doing. So that's very important. There's no doubt about that. Interesting question when you talk about 50%. I just want to go back and just uh, think a bit differently. Do you <laughs> think it could be that men are applying more and maybe their uh, percentage could be more? I'm just I'm just trying to think about it. If out of 100 applications, if there are 55 from men, maybe that could be one of the reasons why. But you're already saying it's like 46. I do agree. <laughs> so why 50? Maybe, you know, at one point of time, women could be much more, uh, the applications or applicants could be more than men. It depends on how the applicants are coming and what you really yep. want to decide as a match, right? Do you think that could also be a factor going forward? We'll see all the uh, coming. I don't. I think it, it just has to do with like how much women are, like we talk about business when we're young. Like I said, I mentioned earlier, I had no idea what entrepreneurship was. I barely knew what like business was. I had no idea what finance was. I didn't know what the stock market was. And the reason for that is because families don't talk to their daughters about these things. And when you're with your friends at school, your like girlfriends aren't, we're not like gossiping about that. But my male friends like did talk about those things with their friends and their fathers did talk to them about, hey, like you wanna like try investing in a stock or like, this is how you do this. So I think that the more, I think when families are talking to their daughters about money and money is a very sensitive topic, but at the same rate that they talk about their sons, then let's see what happens to the numbers. Um, but I think it will even out over time. And like, I hope for a world where like 
there are more women going into business programs and maybe there's more men going into teaching and it's all just going to even out over time. And I really do go back to um, the Ruth Bader Ginsburg quote when she was asked, um, how many women will be enough when there's enough, like how many female judges is going to be enough? And she said, when there are nine, nine on the Supreme Court. And I remember when I first heard that quote, I was like, why is she saying nine? Like, why wouldn't she say four or five when it's like 50%, which you can't have with nine people. But, um, but I understand her perspective now as I'm getting older, because if there could be nine men that can be judges, there could be nine women. If we could have a world where 100% of the applicants are men, we can have a world where 100% of the applicants are women. So I don't, I think it's just will even out over time, the more exposure women get to business and money money's a sensitive topic like it's 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 weird business is about making money and i think um a lot of women are not taught to, to talk about money so a very interesting point uh it's just as you know women are much better at managing money that's i think i did it somewhere <laughs> so i'll not be able to but if you look at investment management i think uh women have done a better job it's uh, mm -hmm. I don't know exactly where I read it but that's a very important thought even a lot of research is being done and uh, but but we'll but you fairly rightly said you know there should not be a limit you should just go out rather than keeping that's what I was thinking like why 50 percent just go out depends you know it, it would depend ultimately like, I hope we live in a world where there's like 50% of the women are construction workers and nurses and like we're 50% of the population. So it should just be, you know. <laughs> yeah, but now let's uh, talk about Chicago. Now Chicago is a fantastic place. I've been there. One of the greatest part of US is they have a phenomenal art and culture. You know, you have uh, a lot of museums. I was eight struck. I went to a lot of museums there. I think right there and the, uh, the very best in the world. Now, when you are talking about art and culture, and that's a major theme, how much do you think uh, Americans appreciate, you know, the museums, the colossal structures, which I have said, because as a, as a society goes up, art and culture becomes very eminent. If you look at various uh, uh, civilizations from the past, whether you're looking at Chinese civilization, Roman civilizations, you know, or uh, the Persians or, you know, some in the Indians at one point of time. Or, so they had a huge focus or the Mayan civilization, as a matter of fact, had a huge focus on art and culture, Egyptians. Uh, how do you think uh, art, as from my experience, I thought I was more appreciative of the museums or uh, more appreciative of how the whole colossal world is built in than maybe a lot of Americans. So I just want to <laughs> and how you're going yeah, to. Yeah, it's an interesting that. point. I think that uh, a lot of young people get, you know, a lot of older people say, oh, like they don't like arts and culture. And I, I definitely think that's not true. I think that there's just potentially been like a, a misconnection sometimes between the institutions that are putting on these events and then like the the young people who want to be involved. So when I first started the People's Club, I did a little bit of research on this and I found a really interesting stat that's really stuck with me, which is that um, people under age 35, among the percentage who say that they want to go to museums, 35% uh, say they don't go because they don't have someone to go with. And this was actually something I experienced a lot when I was living in Chicago. So for example, I would see this cool exhibit 
that I would want to go to. And then I couldn't find someone else to go with me, whether like a friend was busy or they just didn't feel like it or like, you know, people's schedules are busy. So part of my original idea with the People's Club, which it hasn't as has happened as much now because of COVID, but hopefully after COVID, we'll be able to do more of this. But like, this is a group of people where like, if there's an exhibit, you'll be able to find someone else in the People's Club that you can go with. And so hopefully that stat of saying like, you don't wanna, you can't go because you can't find someone to go with you. I'm trying to help diminish that number. So let's get everyone together who, has this interest and wants to be connected and help them find other people who also have that interest and want to be connected and let's, you know, create those bonds together. Um, because I think part of it is just people are, it can be like embarrassing or like people think it's nerdy or people don't want to talk about it. But I think everyone does, they just are embarrassed or they just don't have the right network. Um, so, I'm really hoping that I can create a space where people feel really comfortable talking about it and want to be involved and it's accessible to them. Interesting, you say that 35% of the people don't, don't want to go alone. Actually, I traveled alone. This is something <laughs> which was there. I mean, I, you know, something that touched my heart was when I was much younger, I mean, in my 20s and I never used to go out if somebody wasn't there and then in episodes happen and I said okay if we start waiting then things won't go and I started traveling alone. <laughs> yeah no and, and and it takes a certain personality type too like I'm I'm also comfortable going alone but some people don't want to so it just depends on the person. Maybe as you progress then you can travel I mean I'm, of course at your <laughs> age you like to go with friends I completely agree I mean that, that but I was just as you roll okay now our what I really, Chicago, there's something which is very majestic. There is the art museum. Uh, that's one of the biggest, largest museums. Uh, am I correct? I was not. Uh, I, the Art sadly Institute. The yeah, Art Institute, I think. Yeah, This is one of the places which I couldn't go in. Now, coming back, uh, what steps are you taking to build up your business? Now, when you're going to be you're put on your business, you're building a community. Would you like to share what are the pathways ahead which you think are helping you? What are the enablers? What are the things which you think, okay, these are very critical. Let's do these parts. These are like the KPI indicators which we want to put in. Yeah, those are good questions. So I think one thing I'm really focused on is, um, you know, obviously building up the membership base. So how do I find people that want to become involved and become members? Because we, we, we operate on a membership model. So people pay to become members of People's Club and then they get access to our communities or access to our events. Um, so finding different partners around the city that might help with that. So essentially like partnering with different organizations that maybe have a larger audience than I do. So for example, in March, I'm putting together this like food and art event that's gonna be all day long on a Saturday. And you're gonna be able to like take an art class and then we're gonna do um, like a cooking class. And then there's gonna be like a meditation workshop. And then there's gonna be a cocktail making class kind of all combined. And I'm partnering with this, you know, really awesome like food, um, food blog in the city that's like helping me put that on. So trying to leverage like others, like the audiences of people that are, you know, much larger than me and that have been around longer um, to just build out that reach. Um, and then also partnering with just different like things to do blogs and, um, you know, media companies around the city. So Lots of people who are interested in these kinds of things are like signing up for different newsletters. So getting on their radar. And then again, it's a little bit tough now with like the museums being closed, but 
most of the time or like museums have memberships. So if trying to come up with partnerships, for example, if you're a member of X museum, maybe you get a discount on People's Club and just kind of trying to create um, collaborations with different institutes around the city that might have a similar, you know, demographic that I'm going after. Since you began your journey, it's it's been what about a year? I would say since uh, I launched. Yeah, I mean, the officially launched the business in September. Um, but yeah. I started thinking about it back and back last February. So I guess it has been a year of at least thinking. <laughs> How would you rank? Uh, are you satisfied with what you have? Uh, Mm. So when I talk about entrepreneurship, when is your passion? You're really passionate about doing something. You, so you really want to do that. That's good. And some, and now there are certain, uh, you know, benchmarks which you have kept, which you would have kept. You would have said, okay, this is something channel. Now, how do you rate that? How do you think the passion? Because community involvement is a huge uh, positive, not only for the society, because Americans love community. America is a lot about community. That's the core culture of America. Am I correct? yeah i think so yeah Absolutely. but we're also very um we're also very individualistic so sometimes we don't put community first yeah but what i'm trying to say <laughs> is that this gives you a great chance to get people connected at least to come on a course because individualistic people would come you know try to connect people with who have similar themes to get and that itself uh gives you a platform here to connect with people now looking at what happened during the COVID, what do you think things have evolved over a period of time? You're very happy. Is that what you started off? Uh, you know, you, 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 you took a presumption and then you open up the business. How, how do you rank that? Yeah, I think, you know, I think that there's definitely like an in-person component that I'm really excited about in the future. I think there, there is a little bit of a cap on like how much community you can really create with virtual events. So I'll just give you examples. Like we have, we do a lot of cocktail making classes and at our cocktail making classes, they're really fun. We, we drink and we usually have like, you know, two to three drinks by the end of the event. And, you know, sometimes we stick around on zoom and keep chatting, but if we were in person, we probably would stick around for like hours, but you know, you only, you only do it on zoom for maybe 15 minutes, 30 minutes, or if we were in person, maybe we would be doing the cocktail class and then you would go to another bar afterwards and keep talking, or maybe you would go to a, go to a concert afterwards, or there'd be just, I think it would just be more natural. I think it sometimes can be hard on zoom. You're doing something really fun and then the video just shuts off and you're like, okay, bye, <laughs> you know? Um, so I think it can be, I think that some of that more natural, um, just conversation, natural free flowing will happen more um, when we can be in person, which I'm excited about. Um, I've also just launched like a new little mini program, which is called like coffee chats, where I'm essentially matching members with one another that and they can set up a coffee meeting um, to connect and just have a one on one conversation. So we have some of our members this month who've gotten matched um, and then they're going to get to know each other and then maybe they'll see each other at the next People's Club event. So just trying to come up with ways um, for people to still find connections on Zoom, even though I think it is hard. I think there's definitely a lot you can do. And I, I've tried to do those things, like, for example, at every event, I always have everyone say their name, say what neighborhood they live in, and then we do like an opening question. And while sometimes those icebreaker questions like take a long time and maybe we don't need them every single time, I think it's really important to keep them because when we're on Zoom, 
if you don't do that, it just is weird to like, just come onto an event and just start. And you're just all these like little boxes behind the camera. Um, so I've tried to implement some of those policies to like create that sense of connection, even, you know, through Zoom. Um, but again, like I said, I think there's only so much you can do. And I think that there's certain things that will just be a little bit better when we can meet in person. True. I mean, uh, yeah, you're right. I forgot that what I was meaning, there are there is a restriction right now. And in spite of that, if you've been able to community, that's great. I mean, uh, just think about it, how exponentially it will grow when you start meeting in person. And this reminds me that I should attend one of your events. <laughs> I mean, uh, people from around the world can attend, right? It's only it's not only for people from Chicago. So I was gonna say, unfortunately, yeah, uh, I don't <laughs> I don't let people come if they're not from Chicago. So oh, I okay. actually have had okay. you know friends of mine who live in Washington D.C. or who live in New York, and they're like, Brooke, I want to come to your your next thing, and I'm like, I love you, but you can't come. And the reason why there truly is a reason, and the reason is because I really believe proximity is important for creating community. And we have so many places where we can create community with people that don't live near us. You can go on Facebook, you can go on Instagram, you can go on Twitter, you can go to a million places. Um, but this idea that you're actually meeting your neighbors, meeting people who live where you live and are gonna be voting on the same things that you're gonna be voting on, that are gonna be dealing with the same struggles in your own hometown that they're gonna be dealing with. I think that's really important. Um, I'm really focused on like hyper local. So I also only work with vendors that live here. So for example, like for all my cooking classes, I only work with like Chicago based chefs or for my cocktail classes, I only work with bartenders who currently live in Chicago. And I've had inquiries from people that live in other states. Like for example, there was this awesome person who wanted to do a cooking class and she lives in Atlanta. And I almost was like, yes, cause she's great. But then I was like, no, you got to stay true to your core. And like when you're starting a business, you have to put some barriers around what you're doing. Otherwise, you can go in a million directions. So for me, just having it be Chicago only is um, is one way I can do that right now. So, Nishant, when we expand to India, uh, you can definitely. Yeah, come. sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I will definitely. Uh, I mean, I, people have a different perspective. And I appreciate that. I mean, you want to just stick to what I was thinking. Maybe one of your events could be global because this will sort of get people coming in. Uh, ultimately, you want to grow globally. Chicago may be the focal point from where you want to grow. Uh, but uh, like I said, technology is a leveler. But, uh, you know, that's a different perspectives you could take different ways to go it. I focus more on the global. I mean, I, although I'm yeah. Puna based, I made sure that this is a global company, which true. You look at the local level also at the global at various different initiatives. Interesting. And I really wanted to get, and you are a right person to get the uh, you know, uh, perspective on this is the, you've worked in digital marketing yourself, you know, worked in education. How much has been the proliferation of uh, technology, especially social media, among millennials or in a generation Z, which you talked about, because that's a huge influence, not only globally in America. And, and you know, we had social dilemma as one of the documentaries. I don't know if you were able to see it's a sort of not exactly a documentary, mm, yeah. you would call it mocky documentary. How would you say has been the impact of social media? There are a lot of positives. You could discuss the positives and the negatives. Yeah, I think that, um, so like the sort of surface level, problem that I'm trying to solve is like finding fun things to do in the city. 
but the deeper problem that I'm trying to solve is, you know, loneliness, anxiety, isolation, and all the, there's so much research out there about how much social media has contributed to increasing levels of loneliness and um, anxiety among millennials. So there's like a common study that I cite a lot, which is that 30% um, of millennials say that they feel lonely always or almost always. That's a lot. That's a really high number of people who are saying that they feel lonely always or almost always um, or frequently feeling lonely. Um, and I think, yeah, it's just like we we date online, we make friends online, we do every we communicate, we share our opinions online. And I'm really trying to push back on that with the People's Club. And that's why I'm like excited about the in-person component in the future. So like one thing that we do at People's Club is we do these cocktails and conversations events where we essentially have a drink and then we talk about a topic. Um, so we did one for um, Thanksgiving, like we had a professor come in and talk about sort of the myth that we you know, talk about in the US around Thanksgiving. We did one for MLK Day. And I'm just really excited about this idea of actually getting people to talk about issues like in person with real people live, not on Twitter and not on Instagram, because you can go on Instagram and you can say your opinion and you can get in fights with people. But when you actually have to have a conversation with someone, it's really different and it enables you to explore um, the complexity of the issues that I think people sometimes don't explore online. Um, so that's like my like real true like goal that I want to see. Like if I could know that because of conversations that have happened at the People's Club, someone's opinion has changed on something, that would mean that I've been successful. Um, so we have all these conversations online, but I hope that the People's Club can be a place where people have them offline and have them in person. And maybe that means on Zoom in person, but it's still with another human, you know? Yeah, true. I mean, of course, looking at the time right now because of the uh, COVID-19, you know, but that's, I think the situation is getting much better. And I'm sure in a couple of months, uh, it, it would be back to normalcy and people could be in the way the vaccination is rolling out. I, I read about 200 billion vaccinations have uh, you know, already been secured. That's what President Biden talked about. So I I, I think we are, we are at the end of the road. And uh, <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, yeah. end of the turn. Whatever. Absolutely correct is that uh, the in-community involvement, not only in America, it's across the world. So that's a global issue. I, I would say that's a global issue which is affecting humanity now. And that's why I think I, that's why one of the reasons why I brought in this like oh, this is a very good way what you're doing is like getting people coming, you know, so that they can and uh, these communities uh, work wonderfully well, depending on how, you know, you not only make friends, uh, you could come together on a venture, so many things. Uh, could yeah. Turn. So, yeah. And there's um. There's a lot of research out there that shows that the more involved you are in the community, the happier you are. So just like seeing regulars somewhere can make you happier. Like if you come to people's club events and you see the same people over and over again, that can actually Im improve your happiness without even anything else. And like um, there's a book that I'm really inspired by. You might find it interesting. It's a little bit academic, but it's called Bowling Alone. And it was written by Robert Putnam, who is a really famous sociologist and political theorist. And he, I think he works at the Harvard Kennedy School now. But this book uh, came out in the late 90s. 
And it's all about how our society has essentially, like we, we used to be in bowling leagues. We used to um, hang out with people that were different from us in different places. So whether that was bowling, poker, little, little bands, community bands, community plays, um, community newspapers. We used to do all those festivals, festivals, um, volunteering. People used to do all those things and we don't do them anymore. And it's impacting our social and emotional health. Like this is a way down the road thing, but like, could there be a people's club newspaper one day where people like write about topics going on in Chicago, or could there be a people's club band where you play, we play like a silly concert, like every couple months and, you know, someone plays piano, someone plays guitar. Like we don't have a lot of, I think a lot of people don't, um, don't have that, like that connection that, that people had in like the forties and fifties in this, you know, post-war time um, in the U.S. specifically. And I I haven't looked, I've studied mostly what happened in the U.S., but I would be, you know, I think it's probably safe to say the same thing has sort of happened in, you know, globally as well. Yeah, true. Music, music is going to be a major theme uh, from what I'm doing. I mean, it's been, what I saw a TED talk and you're pretty true, is like building a community and the community, all our lives, if you see how we have evolved, is you have lived in tribes or we lived in a community and that has been broken. This British guy, very interesting talk. I played it on my platform also. And he talked about how he came out of, you know, his depression or how he was, uh, how they built in a community. Nature, nature helps, you know, going out mm-hmm. for a run or being... Mm-hmm. But but community has a wonderful effect, no doubt. We 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 are tuned in by our mind. And since you talked about sociology, you know, you have done your degrees in. How do you rate that as a undergrad degree, which you took, mm-hmm. to doing it to do what you're doing today? That would have one played a fundamental role. And how do you think the society has evolved from your perspective, from your lens? Not only in America, but globally, how are we uh, changed? One of course is we don't connect with each other we are more tuned to connect digitally uh, that is one aspect but what would your views be on on those yeah i think well first of all i think it greatly impacted me and what i'm doing now um i think when i discovered that sociology was a thing i was like oh my god this is the coolest like field of study i i didn't know that like these are all the things these are the questions i already have in my brain and now i'm there's actually people who research it so it really i was like just fell in love with it when i learned about it um but i think something that i think about a lot in terms of like what's changed and this is even something that's changed like from my childhood until now is a lot of our culture that we um that we take in so like movies and music and Um, TV shows and other things, even sports, everything now is so individualized. You can watch it anytime, you can stream it anytime. Um, And this is something that Robert Putnam talks a little bit about, but like people used to have to uh, wait for a show to come on at seven o'clock on Sunday night. And then on Monday morning, they would talk about it with their friends Um, or they would have to like wait to listen to some interview that was gonna be airing on the radio at a certain time. And then they would talk about it after. But now with streaming, um, we don't ever have to wait for anything. So we can watch anything whenever we want. We can binge the entire season. And we've lost this ability to like 
just connect about like, like, oh my God, did you see American Idol last night? Like, I remember going to school on Monday morning and people talking about what was on TV the night before. But now everyone's watching their own thing. Everyone's listening to their own music. Everyone's just, everything is individualized. You can take your iPod or your iPad or whatever, and you can put every single app that's personally customized to exactly what you want. And, you know, my parents talk about this all the time, but you used to just like watch what was just on. <laughs> like you turned, there were like four channels and that was it. And there's good things about having all these options. But one of the bad things is that it disconnects us because we're so hyper individualized that we don't have anything. I mean, you can have things in common, but it's not the same. Um, so even just thinking about like, I recently watched the Britney Spears documentary, highly recommend it on HBO. It was really, really good. Um, but it made me think a lot about like, I went to Best Buy and bought the CD and listened to the whole album and then went to my friend's house and like listened to it with her. And um, I'm sure there's other ways that people are doing it now. And I don't want to be that type of person that's like, oh, like, you know, the young people, because obviously I'm still young. But um, I think we're missing that shared that shared experience um, when it comes to culture that I think previous generations had. Yeah, I think you found the right word, shared experience. That's, <laughs> yeah. I would say, one of the very good takeaways today, shared experience. That's what we are missing. And you put it brilliantly up. That is something which is now missing around the world, I would say, across mm -hmm. generations. But what would come back to it? Now, when you talk about your venture, would you like to talk about uh, what were some of the critical roadblocks, I would say, which you encountered? Any, any, uh, mm -hmm. Anything which you want to sort of recount from your experience? Okay, this is something which I encountered. Maybe this it would help others to be prepared for it anything which could be anything yeah i mean there's a lot and there's still more that i'm going to continue to you know face i think one thing is that you know just getting your initial customers is just hard like i think you have to you have to rely on your network so obviously i relied on my on my friends to become people's club members in the beginning and that was great but those people might not be your real customers they might just be doing it to help you so i think finding like your first like real customers is hard um i remember like when i have like a free trial for people's club and i remember like when the first person that was a stranger that like stayed past the free trial and actually paid i was like crying like tears of happiness because I was like oh my god someone actually paid for this that I don't know um so I think finding your initial customers is just always going to be hard and um it probably gets easier over time because as you become more experienced you just learn more about marketing too but that was I think in the beginning something that I was like struggling with is like how will I ever find someone who is going to pay for this um and then yeah just this is you know this is advice that I need to continue to take myself, but just not getting negative. Like when something doesn't happen, you, you really do get a lot of no's and you really do get good at taking rejection when you start a company. So just learning to brush it off the earlier, the better. Um, I think teaching probably helped me a little bit with that because, you know, students were like, didn't like my lessons like every single day and I had to like, you know, figure out how to make them fun and interesting. But yeah, just take being able to take rejection. And I think one thing I'm learning a lot is um, like just how much things are a numbers game. Like, let's say, for example, I want to I'll literally use an example that I'm working on right now, which is that I want to 
I want to do a pickling class. I want to, I want to like learn how to pickle something like cucumbers or tomatoes. And I need to reach out to probably like 20 different pickling people in Chicago to find like one or two that are going to say yes. And that are going to want to do the class or like similar, like we're doing a dumpling making class. Like I had to reach out to so many restaurants just to find like the one person that wanted to do it. So just remembering that things are a numbers game and, you know, getting a no response or getting a no doesn't mean that you should stop. You just need to probably reach out to more people. But did that experience teach you? Did it make it stronger? Did it say, okay, uh, you went on and uh, did you, when you came on the top, you learned something from that experience? Yeah, I think I learned that you just need to like, like it's like marketing 101 it's like you have to how many like top of funnel to use like a business term like your top of funnel has to be really big just to get like some people to click your email and then some people to actually get to the part where they're going to sign up for the credit card and put their credit card information and some people are going to exit then and they're not going to sign up and then how many people are actually going to enter their credit card information actually sign up like you just have to get in front of so many people in order to get that one customer. So really understanding like, and here it comes back to like business school, but like customer acquisition costs, it matters a lot. Like the lower you can get your customer acquisition costs, the better. Um, because doing all that marketing in the beginning with a startup when no one knows who you are uh, is a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> but one thing I really like about your model is that you started with the paid version. I mean, I, for example, mine is everything is free. So people do a different approach, but, uh, you know, getting somebody to pay right in the beginning is a very good strategy also. I mean, people follow a different one, although you yeah. start off initially, may, you might be having a few hurdles, but over a longer term, you know, it, uh, you know, it becomes much easier, right? Once you have already started with that model. Yeah. And I really wanted to, well, we do have a, like a one week free trial. So anyone can sign up and try a class, but they, they still have to enter their, you know, their credit card information to at least do the free trial. Um, but yeah, one of the reasons why I wanted to make it paid right away is because it helps me find the right people. The people who are willing to pay for people's club are the right customers because they see this as a value add in their life. Whereas if you have something for free, you really don't know if they're your right customers, like finding your right customer is really important and your, your right customer is gonna be the one that's willing to pay for your product. Um, so I think it helps me kind of filter out uh, who's the right customer and who's not, because if it was free, I would have no idea. Yeah, very interesting. I, I, I really uh, love the way, I mean, your thought process or your put in, I think it makes really sense. But just let me ask you a very personal question. When you started it, did somebody encourage you? Did somebody discourage you? How did it pan out? Uh, who would you say, okay, these are small steps, you know, small things yeah. at a very early stage are a monumental steps as you look back in time. Yeah, you definitely need people who are encouraging you. So super grateful for my partner who I met at Ross and who has been very encouraging. And um, that's really meant a lot to me and a couple other like close friends. But there are a lot of people who definitely think I'm kind of out of my mind and are not understanding, like, why are you doing this? Like, you just graduated from business school. You could be getting this great job where you're getting paid a lot. Um, like, why are you taking this risk? But, um, 
you got, you have to have a couple people in your corner cheering you on, but you also have to just remember that not everyone's going to understand your, your thought process and what's going on in your mind. And I think something that I really just had to come to terms with was like, I'm, you know, I only have one life and I, if I want to take this chance, like now is the best time to do it. I'm not married. I don't have a kid. I don't have huge financial obligations. So I can always get a job. I can always go back into the job market and like do something else. But, um, and then with COVID as well, like the, the opportunities were, you know, not as good as they would have been. So I didn't feel like I was walking away from something huge. Um, and yeah, I just, you know, and I also like, I wrote my business school essays about starting a business. Like that's what I wrote my essays about. That's why I went to business school. So if I was going to really be true to myself, I knew that I needed to do this or that I wanted to do it. Um, and many people don't understand that and probably will never understand that. And that's fine. Like a lot of people went to business because they wanted a certain job upon graduation. And that's what they wrote their essays about. And that's great. And they should pursue that. But I wrote mine about starting a business. So that's what I should do. You know, so you just have to, um, not listen to other people do what makes sense for you find a couple people that will cheer you on and just just go <laughs> that that's just follow your heart i mean that's if one you want to do it the some of the greatest business ideas have come in when people just followed and what they really wanted to do ultimately if you're going to be defining a systemic change or if you are looking at a mindset change if, if, through your work uh, that takes time and i and it does yeah yeah and later on over a period of time that's going to you know come up uh, as a discussion and i'm sure you'll be very successful now when you talk about <laughs> it let me just stay yeah, yeah. so let me just ask you another question and it's up to you whether you want to share this or not uh when you think on a long term i usually don't ask this question and whenever somebody's asked me also i've said okay life is too uncertain i don't want to make some goals uh, because if you're not going to achieve them you're not going to be mm. on a very holistic on very broader perspective have you thought about, okay, this is what I want to see my company grow in five years to online, 10 years, just a very broader level. Would you like to share? Yeah, that? no, I, I mean, I, I really have, like I, the big, big vision that I have is like the people's club is the go-to place where young people connect to their community. And there's, there's locations all across the country. There's one in Chicago, there's one in Austin, there's one in me, there's LA. Um, I see it like the most successful successful version of this business would be that. Um, and there's, you know, there's, there's co-working spaces that have sort of done similar. So like modeling a little bit off of WeWork or off of um, the wing, which is like another like women's co-working space or other communities that have kind of popped up. I think there's a model there um, where you, you know, you grow in a certain region and then you grow nationally. Um, so yeah, that's what like the fully fleshed out version would be and that'd be really cool if that happened <laughs> okay the wing this this uh, another all woman power is coming right you're talking about co-working space now okay yeah yeah the wing is a is a women's co-working space now i'll uh, you know before we come i'll just ask a couple of questions which are personal from your experience now america is a very lovely place very beautiful in terms of architecture it's it's uh, blending nature within the societies so if you've traveled around the whole of uh, us which city which according to you which you either rank in architecture as one of the most uh, spectacular mm. 
or it could be just because or it could be like Denver, which is I've not been there. I heard so much about it. It's very pitch, picturesque. It's very uh, you know surrounded by a wonderful landscape. How would you rank cities? Would you like to talk about like that? which cities? Which cities? Yeah, do I just which cities like, like really hit you? Either in, in America and if you've traveled abroad, which ones? And what sort of what connection did it make with you? Well, I I love New York City. Um, New York is one of my favorite places to go. Uh, my family's also from New York, so I have that connection. And I grew up, I grew up, you know, visiting New York. And I think there's something about just the fact that it is this hub for like I love the I love the art. So just there's so many people who are pursuing art, pursuing acting, pursuing music who move there and and fashion and art and like um writing. Um and acting, there's just this energy there that I think just the fact that all of those talented people all live in one very highly concentrated place, you just feel it and it's palpable while you're there. I'm also kind of a little bit of like an urban planning um, nerd. So it's kind of like, I think New York is just a really cool example where, you know, the grid and the different neighborhoods and the fact that Central Park is in the middle. Um, I think from like an urban planning perspective, it's so easy to get around New York and with the subway system. Um, that's just one thing that I really love about it. It's just, it's easy to walk like the city, like in a couple hours, you can do it. Um, what are some other cities that I really love? So I'm, I'm originally from Minneapolis, Minnesota, and I actually really love Minneapolis. It's a really great city. It's, um, it's really cold in the winter, but it's beautiful in the summer and the fall. And there's lots of lakes and, um, rivers and people are very, very outdoorsy in Minnesota. So you see people kind of running outside all the time. You see people cross-country skiing or snowshoeing in the winter. And I I think the, the city really takes care of its people. Um, and there's like higher taxes in Minnesota than in other places, but we also like reap the benefits of them because our cities are very, like it's very clean, beautiful parks. And it's a place where people actually like trust the government to do a good job with their taxes. Whereas like in Chicago, we have high taxes, but people don't necessarily like see the benefits of that. Um, so I love Minneapolis, uh, love New York. I mean, I've lived in Chicago for like over six years and I love Chicago. We've talked a little bit about Chicago. Um, this one's a little bit of a kind of random one, but I did a road trip around the US um, last year with Ross, with a couple classmates. And we went to Little Rock, Arkansas. And Little Rock was really cool, um, had an interesting food scene, really amazing weather, um, very kind of humble and friendly place that I was, um, and also much more progressive than I expected it to be. Um, we saw, you know, people you, like gay couples walking down the street holding hands in Little Rock, which we were surprised to see given that it's in the South. Um, but it was awesome. So um, it was really cool to experience that. And um, I, I'm, I always tell people Little Rock is like the next Brooklyn. So if you're looking for a cheap place to buy some land and live and have good food, go to Little Rock. <laughs> Fantastic. I, 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 so I miss New York. I know it's one of the greatest cities in the world, maybe the greatest one. I was, I should have gone there at least uh, 
you know, just to see it because it's been so much there uh, and through the movies, everybody knows about it. It's one of the great. But yeah, Southern South, South is, uh, I think, uh, a lot. Uh, when I was in the US, I also spoke about it. I think South is now in, in, in the US, that's where a lot of innovation would happen. You know, you talked about Austin, Texas, Austin, you know, it's opening up. Tennessee has been the rock capital, uh, rock and music, jazz. Mm-hmm. So we, uh, we've, uh, I think a lot of things are going to happen up uh, south. It's one of the most beautiful places, uh, like you talked. Even the mountains, yeah. Montana, I was uh, speaking with somebody just uh, about a month back. Now, I would now, before we go to the, you know, the question where I, I talk about uh, the aha factor, would you like to, so this conversation was actually totally, we had planned it out that let's listen to each other rather than making up a question. This is something which has been done for the first time on the Bell Road by me. It's never mm-hmm. been done before. And I think we really wanted to uh, go on a free flow, you know, just not plan anything out and just uh, come and discuss discuss your thoughts out. So would you, I know a chance, uh, we want to discuss anything which I could have missed out before we go to the mm. I think we want to talk about you. It could be a venture, it could be a life, it could be anything, or it could be anything you're passionate about, which could happen in the world. It could be a theme which you think, like if you, if climate change, like you talked about women's equality, if that means uh, woman empowerment, anything which you want to talk about, here you, you could. Hmm. Yeah, there was one thing that you had said, and I was like, oh, let's touch on that, and then I forgot what it was. Um, I guess the one thing that I'll talk about, like specifically with the people's club that I'm excited about is I'm trying to build out this nonprofit of the month program where essentially each month I highlight like a different nonprofit that, um, is Chicago based and is doing something, um, to, you know, solve a problem here in the city. And I think I'm just really curious to see how it lands and, I know that there's an appetite for learning about these things. And I think one thing we didn't really touch on was like how the death of George Floyd and the, all the Black Lives Matter protests have sort of impacted what this business maybe is or isn't. Um, and I think there's a real appetite for people to engage with social impact, um, but I don't know how to do it yet. Um, so I'm, I know there's lots of companies out there that are trying to solve it and I'm going to be looking at different examples. Um, but that's something I'm really, I'm really passionate about. I was like, how can we get people to learn in a way that's a little bit not intimidating and open, um, but also at the same time, create like a welcoming space for people who are coming at these issues from different levels of experience. Like I would say, some of our members are really active and really read a lot and really know what's going on. And we definitely have some members that like maybe aren't as involved and maybe the first time they've thought about these things is at a people's club event. So I'm just in general, really curious to, to see different innovations in this space. Um, I know there's like some companies out there that are like, have a conversation about X, Y, or Z. So I'm just, if, if you ever see of any see any of those, definitely send them my way. And I'm going to continue to figure out how to do it over here too. Okay. As a matter of fact, I'm connected with somebody, a nonprofit in Chicago. So I'd oh, ask, cool. uh, yeah, yeah. So I'll connect you. Uh, yeah. Now you talked about social impact. It's good now that 
uh, topic did not come out somehow visually. Uh, what do you think has changed over the years, specifically when coming now? The millennials, when they talk about, they are, I think, by far more involved as the society progresses. Of course, they have much more easier the times which you are living is easier than the times your parents lived, very frankly. And as you go up, as the things mm -hmm. become uh, much easier for you, you go up the uh, self actualization curve. So if you look at the Mashnow's law, which you do understand. Yeah. So, so I, I would, as as countries progress, as they become more advanced, uh, as they become more productive, let me put it in technical terms, I, I've it's a straight offshoot that they are much more uh, aware of what the surroundings are. They're much caring, do care more about it because they have more time, yeah. more, more time. So, uh, so when, when we are talking about uh, this particular aspect, how do you think it has changed? Do you, have you seen that change happen around you when you when you go out today or and when you grow grew up? That this mindset has changed. That okay, the people have changed, and that impact has not only happening around uh, in the world; it's happening in the businesses. How the decisions are being made. Yeah, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to very eloquently explain this because I don't think I've really ever said any of these things out loud before, but I'm sort of thinking as we go. But I've been thinking a lot about this idea that um, social impact and th philanthropy has really shifted from just giving to like power shifts. Um, so I just recently read this really interesting study that only, and I hope I'm not going to some a small percentage let's i think it's th only three percent of philanthropic dollars go to um nonprofits that are run by a black person or a person of color um so a lot of nonprofits are great and they're doing great work but the people in leadership are still white and still in power um so i think i'm really interested in understanding how do we actually shift power away from some of these institutions that have been really a, a, around for a long time and are still operated by and the, the funds are managed by predominantly white people. Um, so I think just giving some, just helping people to understand that that matters, like having leaders in the nonprofit world, and I don't even work in the nonprofit world, so I don't really have any credibility to talk about this, but um, that actually are part of the communities that they serve, I think is really important. And I'll just like talk a little bit about my experience when I was teaching, like I was teaching in a predominantly black community in Chicago. And it just kind of occurred to me at a certain point, like, why am I doing this? <laughs> like these people should have, or these students deserve to have teachers that are from their community and understand them and like can relate to them and like, are invested in their community. So like you think, I think about my high school experience and I would see my teachers at their grocery store and maybe you, you know, you've had that or you, you know, you see a teacher kind of out and about and it's like, oh my God, there's my teacher. But that really matters because you need to have teachers and leaders that are from the community. So I think something that I'm really passionate about is like trying to find ways to help people shift that power and shift their dollars towards organizations that are actually serving the community by and for communities and not just like big philanthropic organizations that are just throwing money at problems. Um, Cause you can throw money at any problem, but unless you have actual leaders with like social capital that are solving those problems, like nothing really happens. 
it's a very thought-provoking question. I, and, and maybe there's a shift there. I see certainly a shift now in America that, you know, the racial, how to attack or how to uh, close down the racial divide which is happening within the country, you know, how to bring it down. I think there's a consensus now going in America that definitely it's, it's a problem. It's a problem and how, how should we address it? So, and hopefully uh, we would see uh, the, this particular decade is coming in that uh, some of these issues uh, would get resolved or should get resolved. And let's, let's hope for the best. Now stating that, of course, I, I also have uh, you know invited people from Africa to come and speak about, uh, you know, what are the uh, solutions and problems happening in that particular continent as well. So uh, we are, coming. but I really love the book, which you talked about. Uh, you spoke about a book, uh, could you just uh, name it again so that for the audience, uh, they would also, you know, uh, you repeatedly spoke about it. The Bowling Alone book? Uh, huh, the, the Robert Putman you uh, talked about? Yeah. yeah, Bowling Alone. The name of the book, Big Lebowski, I mean, that was a huge influence. And that sort of revolves a lot along uh, uh, the Bowling Alley. Uh, now, <laughs> coming to the, yeah, I mean, uh, that movie, I mean, it was a phenomenal movie. Fantastic to have you. I really appreciate you being a guest here, you know, sharing your views is so important to know how people are now coming up in America. How do they think, you know, how the thinking has changed over a period of time. And I really appreciate that you're taking time off and you're talking about your venture. Now, when, uh, as, a, as, as, a, as a question, and then you can add if you want to, you know, speak about anything, but uh, as, as, as a uh, aha question, is there any moment which you'd like to share, any experience which brings a smile to your face? which you think, you know, it could be from your personal life, it could be from anything for the audience and any message you want to see as a young leader, any experience which, which comes to mind, which brings an aha moment, which you want to share with the audience and any message you want to share. Yeah, I think, I mean, the one that sort of brings a smile to my face, which is, it's nothing like significant, but, um, you know, I helped put together like a conference at Ross that was specifically for women, um, interested in entrepreneurship and venture capital. And we brought in all these speakers and we had a lunch and we actually like went so far as to make sure the lunch was catered by like a female caterer and the snacks were like female owned banana bread company for the snacks. Like every single thing we did was empowering women. And um, just to see so many people coming together to support women who are really trying to change this system and um, break down barriers and help each other was really like a turning point for me in my like business school career, my small two-year business school career. Um, but I would just encourage anyone to get involved with things that inspire you and not that are cool or that are, you know, going to bring the biggest paycheck, like whatever inspires you, get involved, find the other people that are inspired by those things. And I think just learning by doing is like the best thing that you can do. So like I did the conference one year and it was fine, but then I did it again the second year and it was like way better. And then the, the group that did it this year was like way better this year. So it just takes time to build things and you just have to be patient. But if you're working with people that are inspired by the same things that you're inspired by and you feel like you're working towards a common goal, I think when it comes to your career, that stuff is really important and it helps you clarify in your mind like what you want out of your career as well. 
so thank you for you know sharing you know for, for giving time and uh, talking to the middle road i really appreciate uh, i really wish you the best i think uh, you're doing something which is pretty substantial which has itself got a social impact and uh, these things take time and i think you're walking exactly on the right step and i'm very happy that you actually did not take up a job when you're uh, falling <laughs> so this is something which i would say is uh, i mean everybody has his own uh, judging criteria i mean you should follow yeah, yeah. What, uh, what matters to you the most well nishan thank you so much for having me this has been so fun and this is officially my first podcast interview so i'll always uh, maybe there'll be more in the future and i'll always be able to go back and say my first podcast was with the middle road so i'm so appreciative of you having me on and it's been so lovely to talk with you so my pleasure